Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Post-Gazette, joined today by Seth Engel, our Daily Collegian slash uh, Penn State football contributor for the Post-Gazette for our weekly Penn State football show brought to you by Voodoo Brewery in State College. We'll talk about them much more in a little bit, but Seth, um, we're recording this on Tuesday just after James Franklin's uh, initial press conference of the season. the season has started, really, in, in, in terms of you, you and I. We're in the weekly grind now. Um, so how are you? Or are you excited to get ready uh, to get going on Saturday night? Yeah, couldn't be more excited. It's going to be uh, a marquee matchup like, uh, between two, I guess, semi-local teams. And it's going to be you know, the debut of Big Ten Saturday night on NBC. So that should be fun. And um, it should be it should be a great time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into some, uh, you know, what that regionality means between Penn State and West Virginia in this day and age a little bit later. But the first thing I wanted to get into you to with you, Seth, was James Franklin declined to name a starting quarterback on Tuesday. He was asked point blank about it. He was asked why he didn't want to name a starting quarterback. Um, so why don't you fill um, everyone in on, on what his reasoning was? And then I'm going to ask you, um, you know, how much of that we should take at face value. Yeah, so I was really surprised. I thought today was going to be today. I mean, I think most of the people on the beat, we all thought last Wednesday was going to be the day, and it wasn't. So we were like, oh, well, it has to be Tuesday. Because you look back a year ago, this is when he named Sean Clifford starting quarterback. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but Franklin likes to have a quarterback battle every single year, um, whether it's believable or not. So Sean Clifford was named the starter last year, and Drew Aller – was you know surprisingly named the backup over Christian Veyer that same day as well. So that's when he started to put the pieces together. It was the Tuesday before Week One? This is the Tuesday before Week One, and it didn't happen. Um, luckily, he was able to provide some insight as to why he's not telling us who the starting quarterback is, and simply the reason is that he sees no value in it. Um, I think there's a part of it that. He wants to respect Bo Pribula and the other people competing um, and, you know, save them some, you know, airtime, I guess negative airtime for losing the battle. But when it comes down to it, Franklin simply just sees no value in announcing it right now. Yeah, I, I think that is an interesting – he's not the only one around the country. The, the team they're playing this weekend, Neil Brown, also declined to name a starting quarterback. Um you know, I think it's I think it's dumb. Um, but if you've settled on Drew Aller, and I guess the question I have for you, Seth, is 
Did you read into it at all that, that there's any lack of confidence in, in Drew Aller? I know he talked glowingly about some throws, uh, you know, that he made in practice. I think he only threw one or two interceptions in all of camp. So to me, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of drama here, but you were in the room, you listened to him speak. Did you sense any level of doubt in Drew Aller? Is, is this just theater at this point? It's like so funny you asked that because the whole press conference, if you actually watched the whole press conference and listened to it, the main idea of the press conference was Drew Aller and how well he's done in preseason camp. He's basically hyping up his quarterback without naming his job title. So that's that, that's what we did with for about 40 minutes talking to James Franklin today was here about how good Drew Aller is. Like you mentioned, it took him, I think, 13 or 14 practices to throw his first interception. Kalen King spoke after Franklin and continued to praise Drew and how accurate he's been. Um, but he's still not the starting quarterback. So, no, I'm not, I'm not reading into it. I think it's pretty obvious. Probably the most obvious it's been, you know, since this – battle be began in you know whenever it was when Sean Clifford left in, in January so no I'm not reading into it <laughs> yeah I, I mean I'm not either I was just curious if you got any just kind of vibes because sometimes what's said and what's left unsaid are, are you know different things in that room and, and certainly I wasn't there so I think that's um, an interesting perspective I also wanted to talk to you about Sean Clifford winning the starting job at or with, or not the starting job, excuse me, the backup job with the Green Bay Packers. I think that surprised a lot of people um, for him to be number two behind Jordan Love up there. Um, just because, you know, I think we went into draft season wondering if, if Sean Clifford was even going to be drafted at all. And I think it was a surprise he was taken as early as he was. Now I think it's a surprise that he's been a number two guy. Uh, he's a number two guy in the NFL and, you know, theoretically is one play away from being Green Bay's starting quarterback. You know, I don't think I had that at the end of the Rose Bowl, Seth, but but do you think that colors at all how we should look at expectations for Drew Aller? Do you think it maybe looks makes Sean Clifford look a little bit better in hindsight and and you know really colors what happened last season? Because Sean Clifford is apparently, you know, in, in an important position on an NFL roster, and I don't think that's insignificant. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, now that his career is over, we're able to debrief a little bit and look at Sean Clifford and say, well, he really wasn't that bad. I mean, he came away with the Rose Bowl and you look at his stats. I mean, we're pretty consistent all four years he started. It really just came down to a couple, you know, missed opportunities and big games um, that really set him back and, and had people upset with him. Um, Sean Clifford was never a bad college quarterback. I mean, he, he wasn't, he was always at least mediocre Um but now, I mean, as they go into this next era of Drew Aller, I mean, the, a lot of it's unknown. I mean, it might put more pressure on him knowing that, you know, there's a, another quarterback who had his same job who now has a great gig in the NFL backing up, you know, a, a, a quarterback who is also unknown. You know, Clifford might play this year. They're, like you said, he's one play away. Jordan Love gets hurt. Clifford's in there. Jordan Love really struggles. Clifford's in there and we'll see what happens. Um, but it is interesting to see Trace McSorley now not have a job and Sean Clifford's job is, is relatively secure. I will say that. Yeah, I think that's all very interesting. Hey, listen, I'll say I, I was I was one of the people leading the charge against Sean Clifford, not in the sense that I thought he was a bad guy or even that I thought he was a bad quarterback last season, but just that 
he didn't give Penn State the edge it needed to do to get where it wants to go. And, and I never I never saw that from Sean Clifford. So I found it somewhat surprising that an NFL team does have a lot of confidence in him. And and so you know that that I think makes me rethink my perception on what la- happened last season and what my expectations for Drew Aller should be because my expectations have been that I, I thought he was the better quarterback last year and had a chance to be the better quarterback this year. But, you know, I, I think, I think maybe it, it changes the color of things a little bit because I think it, it takes the outside stock people had in Sean Clifford and raises it a little bit. Um, in terms of quarterback talk, anything else you wanted to say, Seth, before we move on here? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I think that this room is young, but I think th- they bring something new to the table. Like they all have different skill sets. Um, Smolik we've heard about has, you know, a really big arm, despite the fact that he's much smaller than both Drew and Bo. Um, and I think we might still see Bo Tribula, you know, play a good amount this year if they, you know, turn to a package similar to how they used with, you know, Tommy Stevens or Will Levis. I think that Bo's pretty good with his feet. I think he's athletic. Um, I just think that Drew probably has that starting job pretty locked up right now. Yeah, I do as well. Um, James Franklin named four freshmen that got what he called the green light, which I think indicates to us that they're not going to redshirt this season. Tony Rojas, King Mack, Zion Tracy, and Elliot Washington. Uh, can you give you know the fans a you know kind of bio on those guys and and what kind of expectations we could have for them? Because you know we went into last season, I don't think talking as much about Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen. I think they're the foundation of this team today. Um, is there anything we should know about the, these guys and, and what their roles might be, um, you know, as we go into this West Virginia game? Yeah, well, let's start with with Tony Rojas. Um, that guy will see the field. You know, the, when Franklin says green light, he means that these guys are available to play. They, the coaching staff feels fine to play them if it comes down to it. Tony Rojas, I'm pretty confident, is a guy that, like, just is – he's in the rotation. You know, like, he'll just be playing. Um, right away I mean he you saw he came in and he came in at 195 at 62 and right now he's standing at at 225 pounds and he's 18 years old so this is not your typical freshman linebacker this is a, a grown man who happens to be pretty young I guess pretty similar in, in a way to how Abdul Carter was when he um, began the season last year so Rojas is going to play um and I think the others will as well. Um, I just think Rojas could make that early impact the most of all. Um, King Mac really shined in that in that open practice that they had a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, I think he's real. He's really athletic, and I think he understands the secondary well. Um, Elliot Washington is another just super athletic corner. Um, him and Zion Tracy. I haven't seen enough of, of Zion to really speak on him. Uh, but I have seen Elliot Washington, and I've heard some really good things about him. Um, so Rojas, Mack, and Washington, I it, I understood both of them or all of them being here. But you know, Zion Tracy's a little bit of a surprise that I'm looking forward to seeing more of. All right, it'll be interesting to see how those guys fit in. Um, another point of discussion in the news conference today: Mike Yersich is moving from the field to the booth. Penn State's offensive coordinator. Um, do you read anything into that, Seth? Is is there any significance? to that in your mind of of him being upstairs versus downstairs another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, the way Franklin put it was that as an offensive play caller, that's really the best place to be is in the booth. I mean, you can kind of see the game from a different lens. Um, and Franklin has experience, you know, calling offensive plays and being up in the booth. Um, so he would know more than anyone. Um, so I think it was just, you know, time for a switch. And maybe it has to do with having a new quarterback. Like, you know, maybe Drew or Bo, um, maybe they're more comfortable with having Yurisich up top than they do on the field. It also allows another assistant coach to be on the sidelines. Um, so that had something to do with it as well. Um, but all around, it just seems like kind of the move um, from from Franklin's perspective. Um, but it will be different since, you know, Yurisich had been on the field for, you know, his first two seasons in town. I'll tell you what I read into it, Seth. I, I think it's sometimes it's an organization thing when you have a new offensive coordinator. Um, you want to be down there to talk to your guys, right, and, and kind of be able to rally things and, and keep keep the trains moving such as it is. You know, do you do you read it at all that that maybe it's a matter of you, they feel confident in their organization at this point, even though they're going to a sophomore quarterback, um, that that the Yursich system is fully integrated here and that it's able to be carried out at the field level where he's while he's up upstairs and able to see the field a little bit better than he would um, on the ground. Yeah, it's possible, right? Because that first year when Yursich is in town, the conversation is, well, how will the Yursich offense work? How are his players going to play in the Yersich system? And then his second year in town is, well, how are you going to improve under a second year in the Yersich system? And this year, no one's asking the question because it's just been the same system for the past two years. Um, so to your point, I mean, Drew Aller's already seen the system. For He played 13 games last year um, or 10 games. Like he, He's seen it. You know, he understands it. Maybe he wasn't playing all the time, but it's, it's probably not going to be that much different of a system than we saw last year. They're just going to sprinkle in some new things. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a great point. Uh, so I, I think there, there is confidence in him, um, especially after leading an offense that won the Rose bowl and, you know, brought the run game back after two pretty terrible years. Yeah. I think sometimes fans forget that sometimes you just need to keep things organized, organized on a sideline and running a sideline is not just, just something that happens. It, it, it matters. And, and I think that's probably part of why he was downstairs and it, it would make sense as everyone is, is used to the system and it's the system at Penn state now that, that maybe that, that coordinating, you know, at the ground level doesn't have to happen as much, but I'll be interested to see how that unfolds. Seth, I'm going to move into previewing the Penn state West Virginia game, but before I do just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode and for all of our episodes of the podcast this season, um, voodoo brewery has hopped on board with us. We're very excited. Um, Enjoy world-renowned craft beer and delicious cocktails at Voodoo Brewing Company State College Pub, located right off College Avenue at 201 Elm, Elmwood Street State College. Uh, Voodoo Brewing Company State College has something exciting going on every day of the week. Join them this fall on Mondays for weekly free play cornhole tournaments or test your knowledge with pub trivia on Tuesday at 6. Wednesday is their game night featuring board games, card games, and the Nintendo Switch. Every Thursday, your boy Dots hosts Bingo. But this isn't your Nana's bingo. Saturday, we have the Nittany Lions in college football. And every Sunday, they will have Steelers, Eagles, or Red Zone 
on the screen. Seth, um, sounds like a lot going on over at Voodoo. It's not your nana's bingo. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't quite <laughs> nail the read. I'm going to get better as we go through the season here. Uh, let's get into this game, Seth. Let's, let's finally talk football. Let's not talk big picture stuff. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, Penn State, West Virginia, Saturday night. Neil Brown has not, as I mentioned at the top of the show, named his starting quarterback. And I'm not sure that's as significant as uh, – or I, I think it's more significant than if when James Franklin's not naming Drew Aller or uh, Bo Perbula because the two guys he's choosing between have very different play styles. We've seen um, Neil Brown deploy Garrett Green, who I think is, is kind of in the pole position here, um, and uh, Nico Martial, the highly recruited um, other guy who is is competing. Um, we've seen Neil Brown deploy two quarterbacks frequently. I, I think it's possible you, you could see that this season. Garrett Green is obviously um, more experienced. He's he's done some um, good things at West Virginia. But I think do you think it affects Penn State's prep at all, which quarterback this, they see or the possibility that they might see both? Well, it's kind of funny that Neil Brown didn't disclose who the quarterback was because Franklin today – basically said on air that he fully expects it to be Garrett Green, uh, which was interesting. They're in like a Mexican standoff right now where they're just not naming their quarterback. And I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that they're just waiting for the other one to announce first. Um, I don't think it really impacts their game plan. I mean, if they're, you know, preparing for Garrett Green, that's fine. I mean, I think they might honestly be preparing to face split snaps um, that could be an option. So just in case the other guy gets in there, they'll have a game plan. Um, I think that could that could be a possibility. Also wanted to ask you about the running back room. I think to the extent people are talking about the, the Penn State might have a weakness on this defense. It's it's kind of up the middle, some people feel. Um, and, and West Virginia has a loaded running back room. I think it's really the one standout part of their roster. Um, are, are you curious to see, you know, how West Virginia tries to test th that interior of Penn State's defense? Yeah, I mean, it should be interesting. I mean, that's that's a big question mark, right, is that interior D-line. I think you're not going to want to test the edge at all, but, like, if you can just rip it right up the middle and get past, you know, Devon Ellis um, and, and Beeman, who, you know, struggled last year and, and run defense, then I think that'll be – uh, telling and, and, and a potential weakness for Penn State moving forward that could hold it back from you know what it wants to accomplish this year. I know James Franklin also spoke today about how the West Virginia defense is something different than Penn State usually sees in the Big 12. They kind of use that spear um, bandit system. Um, so the coverages are going to look different than you know if Penn State was playing Indiana or maybe you know a, a team that's equivalent in terms of talent to West Virginia. Um, what did James Franklin have to say about that? And, and how do you think that that affects their prep, considering it is a bit of an unusual defense for Penn State to be preparing for? Yeah, I mean, luckily they've had months to prepare for it. Like it's West Virginia plays the same style of defense every year. It's how Neil Brown likes to do it. Um, and they've been watching film for a while. You know, when James Franklin circles on the calendar, West Virginia, and he's tweeting West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia, he's saying one and oh every week. Like, Yes, they're preparing for other games, but like they are looking at that West Virginia game for a long time. They see a, a tough non-conference opponent on their schedule. Like they have a plan for it. Um, so I'm not really worried that, you know, they won't have a game plan for West Virginia's, you know, different style. What could be interesting, though, is as you move into Big Ten play, 
when it's a completely different style and they've been working so hard to, to game plan for, you know, the Mountaineers, you know, was there going to be, you know, some slow time getting back up from that, especially when you have, you know, a lot of young pieces. Yeah. Anything else stick out to you about West Virginia, Seth, at, at this, you know, late stage, we've had all summer to talk about it, but now this, this game's upon us. Um, you know, I, I think I talked about the things that are they're sticking out to me. I'm curious to see how those running backs work against uh, Penn State. I, I think ultimately the, the big problem here is going to be, I don't think West Virginia has the explosiveness to hang with Penn State, but I do think they can string a couple of drives together. And if Penn State struggles offensively, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see this be kind of like a, I think back to Pitt in 2018 when Penn State went to um, Heinz Field and, and it was kind of a different game first half to second half. First half, it was pretty tight. Um, you know, Pitt was able to control the ball. And then the second half, Penn State's talent took over and, and they kind of took them behind the woodshed. Um, Seth, do you, do you think there's potential for, for maybe, you know, a similar outcome here where, where West Virginia, if they can run the ball successfully, can hang around for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be – it's Drew Aller's potential first half as a starting quarterback. Um, we've talked a ton about the wide receivers before. Another question mark. You know, there's going to be, you know, a period where they're just adjusting. You know, it's different than when you're in training camp. I know Drew Aller has had a great camp, as Franklin said, all day today. But it's much different than when you're on the Beaver Stadium field in pitch darkness, surrounded by 107,000 people. Uh, it's just a completely different feel, and that alone should take adjustment. I mean, I'll be very surprised if Drew Aller, you know, was able to toss a, you know, a touchdown drive in his first in his first drive out there. But, you know, then again, you never know. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see if they do, you know, kind of call it safe a little bit, or if they maybe t- try to take West Virginia – um, you know, by surprise, and maybe do come out firing. I think it's just unlikely given what Penn State has, you know, with the running game. I think you kind of probe first and, and see if that works. And if you don't have to throw, don't, don't, don't force things that aren't there. Um, let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about some of the, the conversations that's been happening around this game for the past week. I'm not sure if you heard uh, last week here in Pittsburgh, Adam Crowley, a West Virginia alum, 93.7 The Fan, morning show host, declared boldly and strongly that Penn State is afraid of playing Pitt. Um, you know, basically, he kind of seemed to think that, that Penn State should be playing this game against Pitt this week instead of West Virginia, even though it's, it's you know, another one of those historical old Eastern Independent Day um, rivalries. I believe Mark Madden from 105.9 The X then kind of put a blowtorch on that notion that Pitt's afraid of Penn State. Um is there any is anyone talking about that in Happy Valley, Seth, or is that the typical um, something we talk about in Pittsburgh because we all have to live around each other and um, uh, you know up up in Center County, it's it's a different story. Well, Franklin actually alluded to it a little bit, um, not the not the radio host, but there was a question about um, West Virginia and the historical significance of, of bringing that rivalry back. Um, and honestly, this, there isn't much significance. I mean. The point is that most of the guys on the team right now are not familiar at all with that rivalry. And the same goes for Pitt. Um, These are young kids who were some of them born in 2005. Um, And Penn State has only played Pitt how many times since 2005? Um, So when it comes down to it, I mean, the rivalry, 
in a way, I know it's something that fans would like to see, and I can understand why people would say that Penn State's afraid of, of Pitt because it's – I mean, it is a tough non-conference opponent. But I just think the reality is, like, I don't think Penn State has room for that on their schedule. They play Michigan and Ohio State every year. Like, it's just – West Virginia was a tough opponent when they scheduled it at the time. You know, luckily for Penn State, you know, it's been a rough couple of years for them. But the same goes for Auburn. Like, that, it's tough to stick them in, especially when Michigan State is sometimes competing too. I don't know. It's it's. I don't think Penn State's really afraid. I think it's just realistically, there's not much historical significance, and there's really no point when you already have one of the toughest schedules in the country. Uh, but I, Seth, I think especially with regard to Pitt, I mean that was one of the most costly Pitt, Pitt games Penn State's lost in 2016 in a long time. It, it it knocked them out of the college football playoff. That interception Trace McSorley threw to end that game. Um, you know, I think that's. For a lot of Pitt fans, that game certainly matters. And I, I think, um, you know, Penn State fans kind of remember that season differently because it started slowly and then the team really geared up. But that team was not national championship caliber, you know, at the beginning of the season. And Pitt, you know, kind of exposed that. But nevertheless, you finish that drive, they're probably in the college football playoff that year. Um, so I think there is some some historical significance. I also wanted to ask you about what James Franklin said today about um, he likes that it is a regional game with West Virginia, regardless of the rivalry talk. Um, and I think that Penn State scheduling has kind of reflected that he does value these kind of regional games now. Um, you know, for a lot of years, Penn State fans defended not playing Pitt, not playing other teams as saying, well, Penn State's playing Auburn, right? They had a, a series with Virginia Tech on the books. They said, we want to play these, these big national powers, um, teams that our fans don't usually get to see. That math, I think, is changing a lot now that you have USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, that are going to be on the schedule in these coming years. You're going to get a lot more of these big marquee games against opponents that you're really not used to. I think for the next 20 years, you know, you're still going to look at Oregon as, you know, this is this is a different thing that we're not used to seeing. Because you're probably still not going to see that game a ton because there's so many teams in the Big Ten now. Um, so I think the the novelty factor is kind of going to be taken care of, you know, in the in the conference schedule, and then maybe they start looking at the non-conference schedule a little bit more in terms of playing regional schools. Because I know, you know, we have the series for the next two years with West Virginia. I believe Temple is on the uh, on the docket to be that marquee non-conference team. Syracuse is coming up. Do you think it's possible that we see Pitt-Penn State, um, you know, back on the schedule at some point in the 2030s? I don't think we're going to see it by the end of the decade because we're pretty, already, pretty much already scheduled out, you know, through that far. But I kind of think that, that we will see Pitt um, you know, as as this math, I think, begins to change in terms of, of using that marquee non-conference game to face teams you're not normally seeing. Yeah, I mean, you look at conference realignment, and the thing that it kills most of all are those historic rivalries, those regional matchups. Um, that's really what's made people, you know, most upset, is that these are matchups we've seen for a while that are simply going to fade away in the next couple of years. Um, I think if there's anything that these conferences can do to revive that historic aspect of college football would be to your point, you know, schedule some of those historic games. Um, you would have to work around the schedule a little bit because, you know, Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA joining the big 10 means more tough opponents for Penn state, but, you know, for that non-conference slot um, to be able to go back and, you know, schedule a historic matchup against, you know, what uh, Pitt, 
you know, against a team like that um, or schools that have a regional rivalry similar to that, I feel like is, is an option. I think there's room for it. And I think, you know, that would be a way to cool the tensions between these mega conferences and the fans that are upset that they're not going to see the same matchups anymore. But, you know, Penn State's already making some strides there. They're going to play Syracuse in, I believe, 2028, um, which used to be a yearly event. Um, that went away a while ago. So, you know, we're starting to see some of these some of these regional rivalries come back a little bit. And I, I do think there's room in the future with conference realignment to bring back, you know, maybe a Pitt-Penn State rivalry. Did you did you get the sense from that comment he made that that that's something he's interested in and, and that he is kind of looking you know not in the distant future but kind of in the present of you know if they're going to schedule teams that they might they're probably going to be more in the mold of um, you know the teams that we're talking about now and not so much um, you know your Texases who let's face it a lot of these southern teams don't want to come to Penn State for the same reason that um, you know they they just they're they've historically been afraid the SEC. Like I think Florida didn't leave its own state for like how many years? Um, so a lot of those programs I don't even think are on the table. Um, did you? But did you get the sense that he authentically was was interested in those games, or was just kind of saying that as a platitude? I think that James Franklin just wants to win as many games as he possibly can. You know, that's just the bottom line. He was he was unhappy last year about Auburn. I know that the game ended out fine. You know, they they won and they won pretty handily, but. To, to schedule a non-conference game against an SEC opponent opponent and have two years of it um, is a problem in his eyes. And Pitt, I just – I don't know if at the moment right now with the way Penn State's schedule has shaped up the past couple of years that there's really been room for them. Um, and I don't think at this very moment Franklin would be at all interested in adding Pitt to the schedule. Yes, maybe there's room once – you know, the Big Ten reshapes their scheduling format and offers something different than what Penn State's had the past however many years where they faced Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State every single year. But until then, I don't think Franklin would have any interest in it. It's just another, you know, tough opponent to the schedule um, when there just really doesn't need to be. Yeah, you know, I think on some level that's a tribute to, to the improvement I think Pitt's made in the last five years of, of getting to ACC championship games and, uh, you know, winning one year against um, – well, they didn't win against Clemson. They won against Wake Forest, but it felt like they won against Clemson. Um, so, you know, on, on a certain level, if Pitt becomes kind of a national power, you're right, it's a different conversation than we were having 10 years ago where they were habitually – um, you know, kind of a six and six team. Seth, before I get you out of here, I want to get to some predictions here. Um, first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about the game itself. Um, Penn State versus West Virginia. I think the spread is something like 19 and a half, 20 and a half at most sports books as we're recording this. Do you think that that is a good line? Are you, you know, where, where would you set uh, the final score um, in your book? Probably go like, 24-10 Penn State. I think it's going to be somewhat similar to what you said, where there could be some struggles in the first half. Um, I think this game will be pretty low scoring. Um, I think we'll see pretty early on that, you know, Drew Aller needs to adjust a little bit, but he, he could show flashes here and there. I, you know, I think he'll be able to throw at least one or two touchdown passes. And I think Penn State's run game will be able to 
do what they've done all last year. Um, I think what we're really going to see is that Penn State's defense is is pretty phenomenal. Um, and I think that West Virginia still trying to figure out their situation with their quarterbacks is going to have a hard time just relying on their running backs, um, especially when, yes, Penn State could have some struggles in the middle of the defensive line. But then once you get into that second layer against those linebackers, like that's a big problem. Um, and that edge is going to be completely wrapped up. And don't even think about throwing the ball to Kalen King. Um, and if you don't, Johnny Dixon's on the other end, and the defense is just too stacked. So I got 24-10. Low scoring, but showing flashes and you know a potential to be great. I'm going to go – I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than you, Seth. I'm going to say 35-10 Penn State, I think um... – you know, unless West Virginia lands a couple of punches early, um, I, I think Penn State's going to have the room to kind of get its sea legs offensively. Um, I was there a couple of years ago covering West Virginia, Maryland in the season opener for the Post Gazette, um, and and West West Virginia is was mistake prone, and I don't think that that's really changed. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Penn State um, pop a couple of big plays and then have to string a few drives together. And at the end of the day, I think I set the number there of like five or five or six touchdowns. Um, so that's what I'm going to go 35 to 10. Maybe it's not a blowout by halftime though. Seth, and the, let's get into the season now. Um, you know, we've, we've dissected, you know, can Penn State beat Michigan and Ohio State? I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, they should they should beat pretty much everyone else on this schedule. So it's, I guess it's a question of, do you think they're going to finish 10 and two, 11 and one or 12 and L? I'll let you go first. Yeah, I have 11 and one this year. Um, that's something I thought really hard about. Um, I think that this is the year Penn State beats Ohio State. Um, we talk a lot about quarterbacks and what it means to have your number one guy and have a consistent guy the whole year. I think the fact that Ohio State isn't completely sure about Kyle McCord says a lot. It's a different type of competition than the one that Penn State's having. Um, Evan Brown is going to play this year still, uh, Ryan Day said. You know, that says something about where your offense is, that the fact that you're not completely invested in one quarterback as Ohio State has been for however many years. Um, I think Ohio State's going to have a good defensive line this year. Um, I think they should show improvement on defense. But, you know, at the end of the day, Penn State has arguably the best running back tandem in the country other than maybe Michigan, than just Michigan. Um, and their defense is going to be loaded. Um, but that being said, I just Michigan is just built completely different. You know, they're it, it's you can't you can't really stop that run game. And Michigan's O line and D line are just spectacular. Um, and then a, another year of JJ McCarthy starting just it's, it does not add up well um, if you're Penn State looking for a win there. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to watch that game, Seth. I'm not saying I don't think Penn State has a chance in that game. I just, I do think Michigan is the better program at this point. Um, I don't feel the same way about Ohio State. I think getting detonated two years in a row by Michigan the way that they did and and the way Penn State kind of had them in their grasp last year, um, you know, I think has pierced the notion of inevitability that has been around the, those Buckeyes teams. I, I don't think there's a reason for Penn state to be terrified of them in the way that, that sometimes they can be late in games. You just kind of feel Ohio state coming every time. It's, I feel like it's a decade. We've watched Ohio state just be able to come and come and come. 
I don't know if they have that anymore. I think I think Michigan has has broken the idea that 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 is going to be the state of things indefinitely, and and that that Ryan Day is running the same program that Urban Meyer or Jim Trestle did um, for so many years. So I'm going to say 11 and one as well. I think you know I'm pretty much on the same page with you. I think Penn State goes in and and beats that team. The only thing that gives me pause is it you know being on the road at the horseshoe. Um, We've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of this type of talk go there to die, um, and that it's just, it really is just a different game at the Horseshoe compared to Happy Valley, where it always seems like Penn State plays well for at least three quarters against Ohio State. Um, but but you know what? I'm going to say that that they have the tools this year to get it done, and that they have reason not to fear um, Ohio State the way maybe they did in the past, given that you know that that game last season between Ohio State and Michigan was in the shoe. And, and Michigan wasn't afraid, and I don't think Penn State has a reason to be either. Yeah, you look back two years ago, too. I mean, a pretty struggling Penn State team went into the shoe and came close with a pretty good Ohio State team. Um, this year, Penn State is way better than they were in 2021, and Ohio State I don't think is nearly as good as they were that year. So add the math up there and uh, maybe have a potential outcome. Yeah, anything can happen. Any final thoughts, Seth, before we sign off here on the first regular season episode of the uh, Penn State show here on the Post Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel? No, that's it for me. I'm I'm just happy football's back. I, I can't wait for Saturday. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to a lot more of these chats, Seth. Um, to everyone else, if you enjoyed this video, please pop a like on it. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. Help us get uh, more people in the audience. Please also subscribe to the channel so you don't miss any videos. Uh, later today, we'll have the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter. Um, lots of Steelers talk here. Uh, we're in that kind of dead period. It feels like the NFL should be starting this week too, Seth, but um, it's not. So, but there's still plenty to talk about. Roster cutdowns are happening. Um, Kevin Dotson, Kevin Green, or Kendrick Green. Um, I think it's saw Zach Gentry just before I started recording this podcast. They're all out the door. So, Seth will have you covered on that, or not Seth, excuse me, Chris will have you covered on that. Um, and I'll be back on Thursday with Paul Zeiss for our um, weekly Zeiss is Right video. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more college football then. So make sure you're subscribed and stay tuned. And we'll talk to you all again next week here on the Post-Gazette Show brought to you by Voodoo Brewery. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.